Welcome to the Dead Men Podcast. Dead Men's mission is to equip disciples of Jesus and grow church leaders. Hey, Dead Men fam. This is Colin here. We are so glad to have you here today. My co-host Nate is back on this episode, and today we'll be interviewing Matthew Robinson. He is the founder and director of Media Gradia. They've produced some awesome content recently, most notably the Behold Your God series and the Logic on Fire series, which is a documentary on Martin Lloyd-Jones. So sit back, enjoy, grab a beverage. We're just glad to have you here today and enjoy. Matthew, welcome to the podcast, man. We're so excited to have you here. Um, I just wanted to talk to you about Media Gradia. To be honest, Colin and I didn't take a ton of time. No, this isn't how we're starting the podcast. Matthew, (laughs) (laughs) welcome to the podcast, man. Um, Thanks. We wanted to just talk to you about Media Gradia. Like, talk to our, talk to us, talk to our guests. Like, what is it? What is it about? What do you do? Yeah. So, Media Gradia is a, uh, is a nonprofit multimedia Bible study and documentary publishing organization. And we do a lot of different things. It sounds a lot fat, fancier than it is. Um, you know, we um, it's kind of DIY. We do it out of my carport. Um, I used to park my car from where I'm sitting right now, uh, but it's now an office where <laughs> two or three guys work out of here. And um, we do the, the kinds of things that you may have run across that we do. Uh, we're working on a film right now uh, called Puritan, All of Life to the Glory of God. Um, we did a film on Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones called Logic on Fire back in 2015. Uh, the very first thing that we did was a study called Behold Your God, Rethinking God Biblically by Dr. John Snyder. Um, that came out in 2013. And then the follow-up to that just came out this year in February. It's Behold Your God, The Weight of Majesty. And so, you know, we do, as I mentioned, we, did, we do multimedia Bible studies, films, and publishing. We also publish some books by Paul Washer, uh, some of his uh, just paper, you know, uh, workbook Bible study things. So that's what we do. That's cool. How'd you get hooked up with Paul Washer to the point that you're putting his books out? Well, so I'm down here in Mississippi. I'm in New Albany, Mississippi. And um, you remember the, I don't know how familiar you are with Paul's story, but Paul was a missionary right after conversion, you know, just, he went down to Peru and served down there for years and years. And then as Heart Cry Missionary Society grew, he decided through his own study of the scriptures that missions is a function of the local church. And so he wanted to have Heart Cry, um, which was by that point supporting a ton of missionaries. He wanted to have them under the uh, authority of a solid local church. And so he actually um, moved to Alabama and was set up over there for a while. So, you know, Alabama is our, is our, is our kind of kissing cousin over there uh, to Mississippi. When you're, you know, you got to be better than somebody. And if you're in Mississippi, the only, the only person you got to be better than is Alabama. And it's, and it's true vice versa. You know, if you're in Alabama, the only person you have to be better than is Mississippi. So, Anyway, Paul was in, in Alabama, and he was looking at um, planting a church, the possibility of, of, of planting a church out of this very large church that he was a part of at the time. Um, 
our uh, one of our elders here at Christ Church New Albany, where I'm a member, uh, was a fellow named Anthony Mathenia. And Anthony is a dear friend of mine. Um, and Anthony wound up moving to Radford. Well, let me back up. Paul used to come over and visit some with us and, you know, think through what would a, what would a really good solid church plant look like. And, and so he, they settled on the Radford, Virginia area and Anthony wound up moving to Radford, uh, working with heart cry a little bit. And, uh, he wound up becoming the pastor up there. So, um, how, how would you like to be Paul Washer's pastor? That's a pretty good. Yeah, job, that's, I guess. that's intense. Yeah. So that, you know, he's, he's just a good friend and has been part of the, part of the ministry in the local church for a long time. Very cool. And, uh, so, so what's the, the video project you said you're working on right now? Well, the thing that we're working on right now is called Puritan, all of life to the glory of God. So, um, you guys are familiar with Dr. Joel Beakey and Reformation Heritage mm-hmm. books and, um, Puritan Reform Theological Seminary. All of that is kind of Beaky Enterprises up in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And um, so they they sell the projects that we do. So you can get Behold Your God and Logic on Fire and, and the Paul Washer studies through those guys. And so they're familiar with Midi Gratier. Uh, there's a fellow called David Woolen, who's an Englishman, and he, he was a graduate of PRTS who wound up staying around to run RHB. He kind of runs the sales end of Reformation Heritage Books and um, I go to a lot of conferences and you wind up with a whole lot of, you know, kind of conference buddies. So after yeah. the, you know, after the day is over, you go out and, you know, have supper together. And so David is one of those good friends. So we've been talking for a long time about ways that we could partner to do a project. Um, and so about a year and a half ago, maybe almost two, I'm kind of chronologically challenged, <laughs> but maybe around two years ago, um, David uh, Skyped. And I answered, and it wasn't David, you know, it was Joel Beakey. And mm-hmm. so Dr. Beakey says, hello, Matthew, you know, and I'm just, at this point, I'm just super happy that I'm wearing a shirt. And I'm like, <laughs> hello, Dr. Beakey, how are you? Um, and he, he kind of pitched the idea that they were interested in ha- doing a, a Logic on Fire style documentary project um, that was mixed a little bit with the, with the teaching, uh, study like the, like the behold your God series, but to do it on the subject of the Puritans and to try to tell that story of the Puritans. You know, if you talk to somebody on an elevator and ask him, what do you think about the Puritans? Well, they're probably going to tell you something that they remember from English lit class. You know, the Puritans are these mean guys that are afraid that somewhere somebody might be having a good time. Um, uh, or burn witches, you know, maybe have something to do with Thanksgiving. And so his desire was to do like a popular level film uh, that would tell the story of who the Puritans are and why we should care and how we, you know, how different people from uh, around the sort of contemporary ministers today have benefited from, from the ministry of these guys from back in the 1600s. So he pitched that idea to me and said that he'd like to have Media Gratier work on that project. And so um, the first thing I did was reach out to a good friend named Stephen McCaskill, who uh, worked with us on the Logic on Fire film, but you guys would probably know him from doing the Luther film. Um, he did the Through the Eyes of Spurgeon. 
and several other um, documentaries that have come out in the last several years and asked uh, Stephen if he kind of had the bandwidth to work with us on that project. And he said he did. So he's, he's directing it. And I'm kind of the, well, I'm the director of Media Gratier. So I'm kind of uh, over a lot of aspects of the film. And we've been working really closely with Dr. Beakey and the guys at Reformation Heritage and Puritan Reform for the last year and a half to put together this film. Uh, the film is called Puritan, All of Life to the Glory of God. And um, just looking at the website, you can go to puritandocumentary.com and see the, uh, the official trailer. But let me just, I'll read you the list of guys that are in the, just the documentary part of the project. Um, it's Al Moeller, Conrad Mbewe, Jeff Thomas, Gloria Furman, Ian Hamilton, Jeremy Walker, J.I. Packer, Joel Beakey, John MacArthur, John Piper, John Snyder, Kevin DeYoung, Leland Riken, Ligon Duncan, Mark Dever, Michael Reeves, Rosaria Butterfield, uh, Sinclair Ferguson, Stephen Nichols, and Steve Lawson. So it's it's a packed project at this point, you know. Yeah, uh, no the kidding. Are, the how, how, are are, how are you getting J.I. Packer on? Uh, well... So I think Dr. Beakey reached out to him originally and, and broached the subject. And I mean, clearly he's, he basically is a Puritan. You know, I think he, I think he graduated with like Sibs or, or, or Flavel or one of those guys. And so <laughs> we, we uh, really wanted him to be a part of it. And so when we initially uh, moved to, when we had a script and we had, you know, we knew we were in production mode. Um, I think Dr. Beakey reached out to him. And he said, he got back in touch with us and he said, yes, I think this is a lovely idea. And I think it was a very needful thing and I, I'd be honored to be a part of it. And so we were just ecstatic and said, oh, Dr. Beaky, I'm sorry, Dr. Packer, when would be a good time for us to come out? You know, meaning sometime between February and like September. And he says, well, I'm thinking Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> so we just scramble. Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. We'll be there Thursday. You know, scramble to get. I, I'm here in Mississippi. Stevens up in Canada, and we booked tickets and went out. And um, there's actually a little video on Stevens' YouTube channel, just kind of that weekend. It was Valentine's Day weekend, and we're in Vancouver, and we go to uh, Dr. Packer's house and pick him up and take him uh, over to the college where he's labored for years. You know, and interview him about the Puritans. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, because he's, yeah, I think he's like 92 right now. So that's, uh, yeah. that's awesome, man. I'm glad yeah, that you're able to get him on there. Attack. You know, he's, uh, he has mass, macular, macular degeneration. So wow. his eyes are, kind of, the muscles around his eyes are kind of breaking down. It's hard for him to keep things in focus. So he can't read anymore. Oh. Um, um, which must be awful. But he was so sharp. He, we, he actually, little bit of a little bit more about the project uh there's a film there's a feature film and then there's two dvds or you know if you live in 2018 there are multiple streaming sessions <laughs> of of uh, teaching sessions that you can go through as a small group or as a sunday school class or you know in family devotions and whatnot and half of them are on puritan themes so the puritans on suffering or the puritans on marriage and whatnot and the others are Puritan bios. So we have guys like Dever, you know, doing um, Sibs, who his PhD was on. And, and we have Packer doing Richard Baxter. 
And I mean, he did his PhD, I don't know when, but a long time ago. I mean, you can imagine if he's in his 90s now, he would have been in his 70 years ago. Yeah, he would have been in his 20s. So um, we asked him if he needed notes kind of foolishly. And he said, no, I, I won't be needing notes. And he just kind of off the top of his head did his session on Richard Baxter. So he's still sharp as a tack, you know, um, and just such an encouraging brother. It's, it's great to see people finishing the race well, you know? Yeah. It's, it's really amazing to meet someone who's been a Christian for such a long period of time. We had a guy at our church who just died a couple of years ago. His name was Gene Wilde. And he was just, he was amazing. He was like 92 years old, had been a Christian for like 70 years. And just to see 70 years of sanctification in somebody's life is such a mind-blowing thing. That's so cool. Bro, why is it so rare? Like, why are, like, you know, the Proverbs talk about the hoary head of wisdom. And obviously our culture values youth and beauty and, you know, all these worthless things. But the scriptures value age and experience and, you know, the hoary head of wisdom, et cetera. You would think that the churches would just be full of these gray-haired, you know, men who have 70 years worth of experience to share with young guys. Uh, but sadly, you know, in our day, it is a rare thing, and it's a wonderful yeah. thing when you find it. Yeah, part of the reason why I think it's rare is um, just the simple fact that we don't have a lot of, especially in the American Western church, we don't have, I know it feels like we do, but we don't have a ton of persecution from the, from outside of the church. Like we're not, we're not a persecuted church in the West. And so a lot of our, a a lot of where our struggle comes from is we have a little bit more time on our hands uh, to pick fights internally. And so what ends up happening is a lot of times I know this, this is true with pastors. uh, They get burned out. So a lot of pastors end up experiencing burnout. And then a lot of people, as they get older, they just get sick of it because they've been a part of different church, church splits, church exoduses, all sorts of stuff. And then they just kind of don't really want to be a part of it quite as much anymore. So that's totally right. Yeah. I've heard that from the the people's mouth, you know, like, look, we did our time, you know, we had our, we used to have the small groups in our home we used to, you know, reach out to people all the time. We did all that, and now it's time for kind of the next generation to do it. Yeah, it's it's sad, but I think it is related to just you know enduring so much heartbreak. And um, the other the other thing I kind of wonder is if we've separated ourselves, if we as the younger generation have shied away from you know what we would look at as like an old gray headed church. And, yeah. and, and, you know, we opt in to go to the, the cooler, you know, yeah. reformed church that they really no no gray hairs want to go to because they, they don't want the loud music and they don't want, you know, all the kind of all the things that come with a, like a less liturgical, um, a, a little more, I don't know. I, I hate to say like rock style, Old. but you know, whatever, oh, yeah, yeah. whatever sure, the heck sure, we do in our, in yeah. our young in churches. But you think about like a church, like that has, you know, two services where like their first service, their, their early service is a traditional service. And then they have a modern service as their, you know, as their little bit later service. And yeah. uh, I wonder if we've separated ourselves and even thinking of Gene, the guy that, you know, used to go to our church before he died, he, when our church was planted, it was planted by a much more mature church and all the young folks went with this new plant. And, Mm. and Gene said, I want to go with these young guys. 
And so for him, that was him pursuing us. Um, Mm -hmm. But I wonder if we could, you know, pursue older folks in kind of the same way by going to a little bit different of a church than maybe what we would choose to. Man, if we have to learn from people who are like us, then literally half the population of earth is out of luck because Jesus was a man. Absolutely. (laughs) And so... You know, that that whole idea of age stratification and, you know, being with, that is that is super extra biblical. And, you know, that, that, that whole thing that you just brought up is just is fraught with, with problems. We could go off in that direction for the whole rest of the podcast. But, um, you know, I, I would, if anyone's listening, I hope that they take that as a challenge and that yeah. they would seek out, you know, don't seek out the young guy who's cool and, you know, seems to like, have it all figured out and I don't know, be go find the older guys in your, in your church that are living a quiet life and that Absolutely. are being faithful to Christ 70 years in and, and just beg them to sow into your life. Yeah. Um, that's yeah, that's, that's part of it. I think the other part of it too, is it is if you set up the church like a school and you've mm-hmm. been going to church for 70 years, you've pretty much heard, you haven't heard everything, but like, You've heard a lot. So if you're continually just to set up your church as a school, you might end up losing you might end up losing some of the older crowd just because it's it's what are, what are they doing? How are they spending their time? So if you're a church that's a little bit more active in the community, uh, it might give might give uh, some of the older crowd a little bit a, a little bit more to engage in. That's that's still new, still stimulating, still still keeps them um, keeps them there and keeps them keeps them feeling valuable. So that might be one of the other things to look at. But as far as some of the, the stuff that you're, you're doing right now, uh, why choose the – I mean, you went in a little bit on the Puritans, but how are you, you going to turn that into, how, into a teaching session? Because you have uh, – you're telling us about the Puritans, but it sounds like it's also a biblical study. So how are you approaching sure. that? Yeah, well, so – Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And there are, there are ways that we don't need to follow the Puritans. Uh, but then there are ways that we can really learn, you know, I mean, the, the, you can bring in the whole argument for why study church history here. Um, we don't have to reinvent the wheel every so many years. Uh, a whole lot of major issues that the church in America in 2018 could waste the next 10 to 15 years uh, going in the wrong direction have really that have already been tried and found uh, to be uh, found to be here's what I'm trying to say. I think you know what I'm trying to say. Um, there's value in looking back at that kind of hall of heroes. Um, if Hebrews directs us to do it, then you know we certainly don't want to devalue, the last 2,000 years of the Holy Spirit's work in the church uh, by not paying attention to the brothers who have come before us. Yeah. And so there's a whole lot that we can learn from these guys. Um, it seems to me that God moves in epochs. So, you know, why, why were there so many great hymns written during a certain time? And now, you know, we, we sing the seven eleven songs where you say the same seven words 11 times in a row, you know, <laughs> um, maybe God moves in certain epochs where look, there are just, this is the time when lots of great hymns are going to be written. Um, same thing with books. 
Um, I, I don't know. I would challenge someone who hasn't read the Puritans to go and and dig into uh, just the Puritan paperbacks by the Banner of Truth. Um, read what the men that you read read. So if you love to read Kevin DeYoung and you love to read, I don't know, Piper and MacArthur and, you know, all these different guys, read what those guys read and yeah. go, go, you know, eat you some lion's marrow, uh, that just some, some serious stuff. And you will find that there was an epic in time where it seems like the Lord gifted his church to really articulate so many things um, in such helpful ways. And so I, I personally have been helped um, so much by reading the Puritans. And the people that you have, if you're listening to this podcast, the people that you've been helped by probably have been helped by reading the Puritans. And so, you know, that's our, our goal is not to say, oh, we need to go back to the, to the past. You know, we need to start wearing powdered wigs or we need to put buckles on our shoes or whatever. But it's to, to men who have really clear views of Christ. That's our goal. You know, we want to see Christ more clearly. And these guys have been, by God's grace, given um, insight and given the ability to articulate in a way that just is just almost unrivaled in our day. So what you're essentially doing is, as I love how you phrase it, you're looking at the work the Holy Spirit's been doing in the church. And so church history is essentially looking at what has the Holy Spirit been doing with God's people and seeing, like, what what fruit comes of it. So a lot of what you've done, I mean, you've, you've had some stuff on the Puritans, you've had some stuff on, on Martin Lloyd-Jones now. Is that really what you're trying to do, spend a lot of time talking about and, and sharing the story of the work the Holy Spirit's been doing, doing in the church for the past two millennia? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's to try to encourage people uh, that we don't need to be making it up as we go along. Um, that that we weren't just you know born and we're not the first generation of Christians on Earth, and that we need to learn as we go, um, so that we can pass something on to the next generation. Um, and, you know, again, it's not about valuing something because it's old. Um, most of the stuff that would pass as quote unquote traditionalism in the church, uh, I don't want anything to do with it because it doesn't have any, you know, it's not, it's not of God. It's just somebody's, you know, sentimentality or maybe sentimentalism of, you know, the old church that they grew up in the fifties or sixties or seventies. And, you know, there's no value in that. That's man centered. But there is a lot of value in learning from the brothers that have gone before us, uh, especially those who, as we were talking about earlier, uh, finished the race well and have left us something. You know, the way that we, um, let me say it like this, the, I don't want to give away too much about the film, but uh, you guys familiar with Pilgrim's Progress? Yeah. Yes. So John Bunyan, um, do you remember a fellow named Valiant for Truth? He's there at the end, and he challenges um, Christian, uh, offers him his sword, and says, look, basically, if, he, if it was 2018, he would say, this thing has served me well, and I'm not going to need it where I'm going. He's getting ready to cross Jordan, but he says, you're going to need this thing, and, and you know, I'm offering it to you if you'll take it. And that's what these guys who have gone before us are offering us, and, you know— 
we don't live in a particularly literate um, time. You know, 2018 is a time of Instagram stories and, you know, Snapchats and stuff. And so we, um, we're not just going to like let all this really helpful stuff to Christ church live in leather bound books in some dusty library somewhere. So a big part of what media Gratier does, I guess, is to go and, and get the things that have been incredibly helpful to us and bring those out and put those in a form, uh, that help people interact with those things, whether they're you know, laying in bed, watching Amazon prime at night or, you know, watching documentaries or doing video-based Bible studies or whatever. So how, so kind of to launch off of that, how did you get started with Media Gradier? How much time you got? (laughs) (laughs) We got all night, buddy. Good. All right. Well, look, there's a, there's an organization. I, I mentioned that I live here in Mississippi. Yeah. And, uh, I was converted late in life, man. I was, I was 30, maybe 31, um, grew up in the church, uh, grew up in the, in the PCA as a, as a, you know, it was catechized and I, I praise God for that. Uh, but as soon as I discovered that there was, uh, I was, I, I was, I grew up in skateboarding and punk rock. And yeah. so, you know, it was before you could buy that at the mall, that was pretty dangerous stuff. And, you know, that was, I don't want to sound like the old guy, like back in my day, you know, but that, that was, <laughs> that was my world. And so, you know, from 12 forward, somewhere around 30, um, was sitting under the preaching of the gospel again, you know, was married, having, having some kids, wanted to sit back under the, uh, wanted to get back in church. Cause that's just kind of what you do if you're in the South. And, um, so was sitting under the preaching of a guy named John Snyder, and he was preaching the gospel in a way that I'd really never heard it. Now, I don't mean to say that uh, it had never been preached to me like that, but I mean to say that I'd never heard it. And God's right. providence, you know, the internal call was was starting and um, was converted under that preaching. And um, after conversion, just had such a desire to make the gospel known um, being a part of a local church where uh, Christian history is a part of uh, kind of everyday life. You know, people are sitting around at lunch after church. We all eat lunch together, you know, on Sunday afternoons. And, you know, people will be saying, well, you know, this week I was reading John Flavel on so-and-so. And somebody would say, oh, well, have you read Samuel Rutherford on so-and-so? And they would say, oh, yes, but, you know, William Ames had this to say, and I would think, who are these people? Like, do you, do you have like Puritan trading cards or, you know, how do you even know who these people are? And, um, started to, you know, read some of the older writers and just found them to be so helpful as a young Christian and had a, a growing desire to make the gospel known and to make some of these uh, resources known that I was being exposed to and that the Lord was using me, I mean, was using in my life to grow me as a, as a young believer. And so um, I, I thought that that would look like pastoral ministry. Um, so I, I, I hatched a plan to go to seminary, and I had uh, a wife, and I still have a wife, that sounded bad, but <laughs> <Yeah>. I, <laughs> had a wife and, and a couple kids at that point. And so, you know, just dropping out and being a, a seminary student 
was not an option. I had to find a job that would work with me to allow me to go to seminary. And so there's an organization in Tupelo, Mississippi, called the American Family Association. And uh, they're a very, I guess you would say, like a cultural, like like a culture war kind of thing, you know, mm-hmm. like boycott Kmart because they have transgender bathrooms and, you know, boycott these guys and, you know, we're going to watch the bad TV so you don't have to and we're going to let you know, you know, how bad it is kind of thing. And so, but they're a big organization. There's some great Christian people that work there, and they're very helpful to guys who are trying to go to seminary. So I got a job there as a graphics guy and started doing graphics for them. Um, In the meantime, they heard my pastor, John Snyder, uh, give a talk and asked him if he would be willing to do a video-based Bible study uh, on what they heard him talk about, which was this whole idea of evangelical idolatry, that you could you could have an image of God in your mind, and that that image of God, even if you call him God, and it's a God who has a son named Jesus, if that image of who God is is so far removed from the God of the Bible, that you can be worshiping an idol of your own imagination, and that idol cannot save you. Wow. And so— they said, man, that's incredible. That's very challenging. Would you be willing to make a video Bible study for us for this new division that we're coming out with, uh, American Family Studios? And he said, man, you all have got the wrong guy. Like, we don't, we're old school. We don't even have anything to show a video on in our church. Like, we just preach, pray, and sing. But, you know, thanks for the offer. And they stayed on him about it for, for a long time, just were interested in him coming to do it. And so in the meantime, I went to work there as a graphics guy. And after several months, they said, okay, okay, your next gig is to uh, make a video-based Bible study with your pastor. And your, you know, step one is talking them into doing it. <laughs> so we sat down and, and, uh, and talked it over. Look, what would we do? You know, I mean, this, there were, there were, there were hesitations because, methodologically, you know, we're not super into like boycott the unregenerate. You know what I mean? Like if you don't say Merry Christmas, we're going to, we're going to tell people don't shop at your store. Like that's not, that's not the, that's not a hill that I'm willing to die on, you know? Um, and theologically it's a, it's a very Arminian, um, kind of Methodist organization. But again, you know, these are people that love God's word and there are people who love the Lord there. And, so there were hesitations, but it seemed like, look, the Lord is initiating this. So maybe we should, you know, it might be disobedience if we don't, uh, if we don't move forward with it. And so we reached out. I told you earlier, you know, that Paul Washer is a friend, and there's another fellow by the name of Richard Owen Roberts up in Wheaton, Illinois. And if you don't know that name, just go find him on YouTube and look him up Um He's like 173 years old, I think, and he's um, he's just a, a firebrand, and and he's really he's kind of like the proto Roberts. I mean, the proto washer, because you know he was he has an itinerant ministry, uh, really gifted by the Lord and plowing up people's hearts in a lot of a lot of the same way as Washer has been so clearly gifted, and um, so we asked. Roberts and we asked Washer, what do you think we should do? And they said, you know, let's, if, let's do it. Let's do it. And let's do it on the character of God. And so we reached out to some other friends 
uh, Conrad and Bayway and, um, so several Welsh, uh, friends who were over Welsh evangelical fellows. And, and, uh, I wanted to make the Christian history that I'd been exposed to known. And so we, uh, came up with the idea that we would actually go to places that are associated with guys from Christian history. So when we talk about Samuel Rutherford on the person of Christ, for instance, um, we, uh, move, we, we actually go to, um, Scotland where he ministered for so many years. And so John is there in the ruins um, of Anworth. And, you know, we introduce the subject that we're talking about that week through the life of someone from Christian history. Um, And then we have uh, a a message from Dr. Snyder in the middle and some uh, applicatory comments at the end from the different contemporary ministers. And we really just thought, man, nobody will ever see this outside of kind of the AFA uh, mod or audience, and that's that's a big audience. I mean, they have like they have like two hundred radio stations across the U.S. and like forty something states. You know, and it's oh, like wow. yeah, it's like super political stuff. You know, it's like political talk show kind of thing. But I mean, they have a big audience to like Middle American evangelicalism. So we didn't, you know, we're not, we didn't show up and say, okay, guys, step one, T, total depravity, you know, step two, you, you know, we're not, it's not, it's not about that. It's about who God is and, and the character of God and going into the scriptures to make sure that what we think of when we think of God is what he has revealed himself to be in the scriptures. So the, the name of the study is behold your God, rethinking God biblically. Um, and so that study came out in 2013. And when it came out, we had a conference in Memphis. We had Washer and um, several uh, several of the speakers came and, and spoke at that conference. And then the very next day, I got on a plane with Paul and Anthony, and we flew over to this new conference that was just getting started called the G3 Conference in Atlanta, Georgia, and showed up to the very first G3 you know, with a box full of these Behold Your God studies and sold every last one of them to people who were there. And that just kind of started this, you know, leaven through the lump kind of uh, thing. We're, we're really bad at self-promotion. Um, I'm kind of scared that somebody might get to know me and then they don't want to listen to what, what we have to say, you know, about who God is. So I try to keep myself out of the spotlight as much as possible. But, you know, going to conferences started then and, Groups like Ligonier and Desiring God, you know, Bethlehem, um, really opened their arms to us and, you know, started inviting us out. And we started going to T4G and TGC and uh, Shepherd's Conference, uh, got to know the guys at the Banner of Truth really well, you know, um, didn't know them, just had a library full of their books, but uh, reached out to the Banner and was so you know, just overjoyed to find out that the people who work there and who run that organization are of the same mind as the men that they publish. You know, they're guys that love the Lord Jesus and are, you know, just great guys. You guys know Pat Daly? He's like, I mean, he's like 25 or something. He's a super young dude, but he runs the banner of truth in the U.S. and super good guy. You should have him sometime. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Yeah, so got to know Pat really well and Pat picked up the Behold Your God study, and they started selling it. And so, um, 
the next thing that happened was uh, the study started selling really well. And AFA said, wow, you know, this is great. This is generating a lot of interest. And, you know, we've never had anything that, that kind of did this much. Um, so what do you want to do next? <laughs> In the process, I had, I had met um, several people that knew Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who sat under his ministry and, um, uh, and, and got to know a fellow named David Lovey, who is the secretary of the MLJ Trust here in the States, the MLJ Recording Trust. So like MLJTrust.org, where you can go to listen to all of his preaching. And um, We'd kicked around the idea that, you know, the, the time to sit down with somebody who actually knew Martin Lloyd-Jones including his two daughters who are now in their eighties, that, that window is closing. And so we thought, man, it would be so cool to just make a documentary about Martin Lloyd Jones while you have time. And so I, I pitched that idea to AFA like this. I want to make a movie about a dead guy that you've never heard of. And they said, oh, okay. Um, are people going to be into it? And so I think so. You know, this, this guy's like, you know, MacArthur and Piper and all these guys is like in their top three influences. Um, yeah, they love them. So I think that I think people will be into it. And so they said, go for it. And so I spent the next year and a half making the logical and fire film. And, um, we can talk about logical and fire if you want to, but just to finish the long answer to the question that you asked when logical and fire came out, we were, you know, going to all the different conferences. We had great relationships with different publishers. And the, I guess you could say the theological and the methodological differences between the direction that Media Gratier was going, which was Media Gratier was just the name that I was calling the work that I was doing there for American Family Studios. Um, the direction that that was going was in such a different direction than what AFA was doing that it just, it made sense for us to become an independent nonprofit. And so back in 2015, uh, October of 2015, we became an independent organization and um, have been doing things just, you know, based on uh, the support that people give us and the Lord's kindness through, um, you know, selling uh, the projects that we make ever since. That's cool. So do you, are, are you able to do Media Gratia full-time? Yeah, this is my, this is my full-time gig. This is all cool. I've done for six years. So I did it as an employee for three years and I've done it as, you know, the director of this nonprofit for the last three years. I am super jealous. Yeah. Um, Everybody at dead men <laughs> is dying right now. <laughs> oh, tell us your secrets. <laughs> the secrets. Man, the Lord has initiated the work and he is more zealous than I could ever be for his namesake. Amen. And so he just continues to make opportunities for us to do things that are honoring to him. And so, you know, my, my goal is not like, oh man, I got to keep, you know, making a paycheck. Uh, Cause I was looking for a job when I came into this thing and can, you know, find a job when it's over. But, you know, it's, my desire is still the same. Like I, you know, Christ needs to be known in our day and generation and that's, you know, I have a zeal for that, but I know that me on my own as a selfish, lost, you know, terrible person, I would never want that. That's a God birthed thing. And uh, he's more zealous for that than I could ever be. So, you know, he just continues to make opportunities for us to do that. 
I don't want to knock you off track, but you know, I do, I, I would like to at some point make the, there's a correlation between all of those guys that you think of as being these, you know, amazing guys and the punk rock uh, scene that I grew up in. So I can make that later, but go ahead with your question. Uh, my question right now though, is, is on Martin Lloyd Jones. We're yeah. as De- dead men. We're an organization. We're, we're getting ready to start a, a crusade uh, tour that we're trying to work on. And it's, we're going to be trying to invite revival. Cause we do feel like, the church just just needs to develop a new hunger and thirst for thirst for God and who He is. Uh, yeah. and we want to make sure that that people who are also get a get a hunger for the for the local church. They're not just internet Christians. They're they're people that are plugged in and involved. Yeah. But one of the questions that I had is, you had Martin Lloyd Jones as one of your first really big projects, and it seems like he was birthed out of the Welsh revival movement. And then he was really influential as far as, as getting people stoked and, and, and hungry for, for God's word. I mean, of course the Holy spirit's involved in, in leading that, but it seems like the Holy spirit used Martin Lloyd Jones for that to a big deal. Can you maybe share some insights on why you think what made him so, so unique and influential for that, that period of time? Yeah, man, there's an emphasis and an ethos in the Lloyd-Jones ministry that that is missing in our day. And it was missing before his day. Um, But as you mentioned, you know, there was the Welsh Calvinistic Methodist movement a hundred years before he was born. Uh, And, you know, a lot of people might say Calvinistic Methodist, you know, that's one fellow said, that's a war in language, you know, how can you be a Calvinistic Methodist? Well, um, the background on that is, as you guys, I'm sure know, there were the, the Methodist movement. There were the Wesleys and there were the Whitfields. And as they were going around preaching, uh, the Wesleys were mostly in, in England and that part of the world. And, and Whitfield and some of his men went down into Wales. And, of course, Whitfield was a Calvinist. And he was very influenced by the Puritans. And the Puritan soteriology was his soteriology. And so as he preached this uh, heartfelt, experiential, you know, look, we can't just be Church of England where everybody's born a Christian. You know, something must be known and felt. There's an experience. There's a, there's a new birth that has to take place. Uh, that was just almost unheard of in Whitfield's day. And so there were men um, like Daniel Rowland who were, who were part of that movement. Uh, Daniel Rowland, who lived in a, in a little Welsh village called Flint. Sengetho. I can't, it's two L's, so it's the little Welsh sound, you know, you just kind of <laughs> make a sound, Sengetho. Um, but that village is where the, uh, the evangelical awakening uh, was, it was like the epicenter for it. Uh, during a communion service, this would have been in the 1700s, I don't know the exact date, but as I mentioned, I'm, I'm kind of chronologically challenged, but he... Um, uh, the Lord drew near to this village, and through the preaching of the gospel, thousands and thousands and thousands of people were walking to hear the gospel preached, and conversions uh, were taking place left and right. You know, so it's true. True revival is, you know, we we have the ordinary means of grace, preaching and prayer, and um, and, and so it's the ordinary means with an accelerated um, result. 
So it's not anything new that comes into play. Like, oh, we started having revival meetings or we started, you know, whatever. It's, it's these same means that God has ordained, but it's God's choosing to visit those means with particular uh, success, you might say. And so a hundred years before Lloyd-Jones was born, the evangelical movement, uh, the evangelical awakening took place in Wales, uh, a true revival. And, but by the time Lloyd-Jones was born, that had faded. And politi- uh, religion and politics were almost synonymous. So, you know, if you live in America in 2018, then that rings a bell for you. You know, yeah. the, the, the religious right were, but in the UK, it was the religious left um, because, you know, there were hungry people and shouldn't the church care about hungry people? And so shouldn't the government care about hungry people? And so, you know, th- there was a lot of emphasis on politics and there was a lot of moralism in the preaching. You know, we need to be good people. So Lloyd-Jones grew up under that kind of preaching, but there was a cultural memory. There was even, there's even a statue there to this day in his birthplace. I'm sure he walked by it on the way to school every day uh, of Daniel Rowland and this thing that happened when God drew near to that village and thousands, tens of thousands were converted. And so that was always a part of his memory. He knew about it. He didn't know quite what it meant. Later in life, when he was converted— um, he, he was drawn, I guess, naturally by that. I mean, you can imagine if that was your little tiny village that you grew up in, that was their sort of claim to fame. And so he went back and started to read some of those guys. Well, it had fallen out of fashion at that point. Um, you know, no one would ever sit through an hour long sermon again. You know, this is modern, you know, mid, uh, 1900s England. And, you know, much like in our day when people say, look, preaching, that's old, you know, nobody will listen to that. That doesn't work anymore. You have to do other things. So people would say back then you have to have drama and you have to have, you know, plays that you do on the stage and you have to tell stories and maybe use a little bit of humor to keep people's attention and whatnot. Lloyd Jones went back and and read these guys and saw their emphasis on the new birth um, saw where they took that emphasis from the scriptures, um, saw their emphasis on union with Christ, um, saw all of the things that sort of embodied that movement. And he just, I don't want to say naturally, but he just embodied those things. And it would have been, it would have been very countercultural for him in those days. Uh, but his ministry was just marked by uh, an emphasis on preaching Christ, an emphasis on preaching the new birth. Uh, and and uh, those are the kinds of things that the Lord tends to honor. And so even Lloyd-Jones' own ministry, where he preached uh, in Sandfields and saw you know, a genuine work of God in, there in the local church, not tens of thousands, but certainly dozens and dozens and dozens of people from every walk of life uh, converted and then later in his ministry in, uh, in London at Westminster Chapel, thousands and thousands of people flocking to hear him. You know, in, the, in, in London in the 50s and 60s, um, you know, this is a major metropolitan center of planet Earth. Mm-hmm. And you have some of the most hip, smart, you know, people 
on the planet coming by the thousands to hear this man exegete the Bible, which was totally out of fashion in his day. Um, so, yeah, his he, he wasn't making it up as he went along. Um, he, he saw that this is the emphasis that the New Testament gives. This emphasis was rediscovered by the Reformers, and then again by the Puritans, and then again by these Welsh Calvinistic Methodists, and they need to be rediscovered in our day. And so he began to preach those things. And then, of course, from his ministry sprung the banner of Truth Trust, you know, the, the republishing of Puritan works. Um, and, you know, really the modern, if you want to call it the Calvinistic resurgence uh, in our day, can be traced back to one person, and that's Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Hmm. Look, can I ask you just to clear, I mean, that's all helpful. Can, you, can I ask you just to clarify a couple things? You said uh, he embodied the, the, the teachings of, of the, new, the new creation, and then he also embodied the teachings of union with Christ. Now, sure. the, those teachings, union, new creation and union with Christ, those can be a little bit of a Christianese jargon. So is there any way you can, in more layman's terms, explain what you, what you mean by that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Look, people who grew up in church, in the Church of England, in, um, back in George Whitfield's day, would ask him, why do you always preach you must be born again? And he would say, because you must be born again. So the emphasis of the New Testament is that a person, uh, all of humanity, is born dead. We're born slaves to sin. We've inherited a sin nature from our first father, Adam. Uh, his choices, which we were not present uh, when he made them, we didn't play a part in them. Those things have come down to us federally uh, because he's our federal or covenant head of all humanity. And so we're born uh, in sin. We're born with the, uh, the consequences of his sinful choices. And all of us are born blind and deaf, and the scriptures even say dead, to the realities of who God is and what, scripture, what spiritual realities are. And so if we're ever going to have our eyes opened to these things, we don't just need a little help. We don't need to just get a little better. We don't need to get smarter. We don't need to go read old books. We're going to have to be born all over again. And the New Testament gives emphasis to this. And um, religion in our day, you know, guys, there's really only two religions in the world. I know there's lots of different names for it. You know, you have Judaism and Islam, and you have uh, so many other religions, but there are really only two. There's try to be a better person by doing better things, and then there's, no, you need to die, and you need to be reborn. Mm. And the, that one is Christianity. That's the message of Christianity. That gets lost, and a lot of times even people who are you know, well-meaning uh, ministers who wear the name of Christ uh, wind up preaching moralism. So Lloyd-Jones' ministry in a day where moralism was what was being preached, moralism and politics, Lloyd-Jones preached the necessity of the new birth. Um, and union with Christ is a necessary 
um, component of that new birth. It, you might say it follows necessary, necessarily. Um, when we are reborn and we're given a new nature, we're given um, a nature that where, where the Holy Spirit comes to live within us and he frees us from slavery to sin. Romans 6 says that because Christ died, we died. Because Christ was, was raised again by the power of the, of the Spirit, we are raised again by the power of the Spirit. And the life that he lived, he lived to God. The life that we live, we live to God. It's shocking, and it would be, you know, it would be almost blasphemous to say if the New Testament didn't say it so clearly, but it's true to say that what happened to Christ and what is true of Christ happens and is true of the Christian. So Christ died, we died. Christ was reborn, was raised again, we've been raised again. Um, we're dead to sin. And so the, the realities of union with Christ, which once you've seen that reality, is everywhere in the New Testament. Everything about in Christ, a man in Christ, it's just, it's, it's everywhere you look. But because we have an enemy, and because we're hard of hearing, it sometimes get, gets lost and other things get preached, you know, other things have emphasis given to them in ministry. Um, but those two emphases are so central to the message of the New Testament and the message of vital living Christianity that they have to be rediscovered every once in a while, every so many generations. And again, you know, you have the Reformers, you have the Puritans, you have these Welsh Calvinistic Methodists, you have, Lloyd, you have Spurgeon, you have Lloyd-Jones, and then you have these men, you know, in our day that have been so helpful to us. And the question is now, who are the men in this generation? Who are the 20-year-olds and the, the teenagers who the Lord has drawn to himself and given a new heart and given eyes and ears? who are going to see these things in the scriptures and are going to say, this is the hill that I'll die on. That's, I mean, that's helpful. I think, I know growing up, I mean, I grew up, I grew up in a reformed church. I grew up in the PCA and I never heard a ton of union, what, what it meant to be united with Christ. I didn't hear a lot of that until I got to seminary. And then I didn't, it took me a few years in seminary to have an understanding of what it meant to be united with Christ and, and also what it meant to, to live my life daily. Um, not only as someone who's, who's under his authority, cause I understood I was under his authority. I understood the the intellectual ascension of Jesus is, is God. He's got to be God. I uh, believed he raised, was raised from the dead. Okay. I understood that intellectually, but the day to day relying on Christ and what that meant was something that was completely completely a foreign concept to me. And I didn't start to understand it until I got to seminary. And then once I got to seminary and I started to understand this is what it means to rely on Christ every day. It, it means, what does it actually mean that God's in control? It, it means he's sovereign. He's, he's, he's everywhere. He knows exactly everything that's going to happen in my life. He's, he's sovereign. He's ordained everything, both the good and the bad. And then he still loves me. So he's he's there. He whatever he's ordained, whatever comes to pass, it's it's there, and he's not going to forsake me. He's 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 there with me the whole time. So then, understanding what that means now, the freedom in Christ, knowing that I'm united to Christ, and there's a God 
who is bigger than me and more powerful, and I can trust him. That was something that that completely reshaped my understanding of what it meant to be a Christian, because now I was no longer worshiping a deity that was far off. I was now worshiping a deity that I was literally united to. He was here. He was present with me. He was active and moving, and he loved me and cared for me. And that was something that that changed. And then I once that started to happen, I, it started to make more sense when you'd have a guy like Spurgeon said said something along the lines of, "The more I the more I know God, the more I I, I understand Him and 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 learn more about His Son Jesus Christ. The the harder it is for me to sin against Him because He's someone I love." And so that was something that that changed my life, and I, I, I'm appreciative that we have people out, people in the world, in, in the Christian church in America, who are, are trying to make some of these teachings that have kind of almost been lost more prevalent again. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it seems like the fight in the last generation was the fight between easy believism and lordship salvation, you know? So are we going to make Jesus Lord? Is he Lord? Is he in control? Um, and those, you know, I, I would be a lordship guy, you know, but that's really not the issue. The issue is, are you united to him? Um, you know, Paul answers that question. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? Well, may it never be. The thing is impossible. Why? How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that it, all of us who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death? And then he goes into this whole exposition of the doctrine of union with Christ in Romans 6. We've been buried with him through baptism into death, and we've been raised with him and so that we can walk in the newness of life. And if we've been united to him in the likeness of his death, certainly we'll be united to him in the likeness of his resurrection. You know, our old self is dead, and uh, the body of sin is done away with so that we'll no longer be slaves to sin. We've been freed from sin. Um, and so the, the question comes, well, doesn't that mean that people will just live however they want, you know, if, if, they, if there's no threat of, you know, God's going to smash you if you don't do what you're supposed to do? And Paul's answer to that is, look, if we've died with Christ, we believe that we'll also live with him. Um, death is no longer master over him. And so, you know, we've died to sin. That's the greatest power to live holy that there is. Um, you know, it's not, it's not to cower but it's to realize, man, we are united to Christ. And just to have that crash over your your mind and your thinking, your life every day. Amen. Now do Romans 7. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so good. The thing that I want to do, I don't do. Yeah. Oof. But it's important that you, that you, that you raise those points because it's, especially in the West, like we have such an individualized uh, relationship with Jesus. It's just, it's just me and Jesus. Um, so what, who, what, what am I losing by sinning? Uh, I have Jesus who's going to forgive me. So what have I lost by sinning? If it's just me and Jesus, yeah. because he's going to forgive you anyways. And I think, I think the big difference between us and, and maybe the guy like Martin Lloyd Jones is his understanding of, he had such a fervor for sharing the gospel with those around him. He had yeah. such a fervor for the mission of God that for him, if he was sinning, it wasn't it wasn't just him sinning against God necessarily, which it was. I mean, that that's enough. I mean, if you're sinning against God, that that's enough. But it, it, it's also he saw his effect of it wasn't just between him and Jesus. His effect, the effect of it was 
if he's sinning against the, the Lord God he's here to serve, if he has a master that, that, that who, who's died for him and who loves him and is Lord over his life, and he's sinning, sinning against him, how now can he then go into the world around him and still proclaim service to that master if he's yeah. in utter rebellion on, on the flip side? So I think for a lot of us, we need to start to to open up our box or open up our, our, our view of this a little bit. It's not just us and Jesus. It's it's Jesus is not here just to fix our relationship with him. Jesus is here to fix our relationship with him and then to fix just just our relationship with each other and, and, and all of creation as well. So if you're in active rebellion and if you don't understand the lordship of Christ, that is going to affect the the ability you have to serve Christ in the world around you. And if you're a Christian and you're born again and you care about the new creation, that should be something that you are actively thinking about. How can I serve Christ in the world around me in my day-to-day life? And and then seek to seek to how does my relationship with Christ affect my ability to serve him uh, or, or serve him in in, in the in the world world that I'm at. So I think that's that that's incredibly important that you're highlighting some of those incredibly important teachings of Martin Lloyd-Jones. Um, yeah. Well, you know, he's not making it up. It's, it just comes from, it comes from the, the scriptures and you know, most clearly through, through the, through the revelation of Christ and then in the new Testament. And, you know, this is the same, this is the same, I'm, I'm talking to you about Romans six and the reality of union with Christ. Um, sometimes the question you have to ask is, uh, am I in Christ if I'm satisfied to live this way? Because the same apostle in Romans 8, which we know of as, you know, look, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for those who are united to Christ. The same apostle just a few verses later says very clearly, if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. So, look, Spurgeon gave this illustration, and this really illustrates the new birth so well. He, it's Spurgeon's pig. Um, so he said uh, if, if he could set on the left side of the Metropolitan Tabernacle a plate of the finest food that was prepared you know, by some French chef, just the very best food that you could possibly get on the left side of the, of the sanctuary— and then over on the right side, if he had a bucket of maggot-ridden slop, and you were to let a pig go at the back of the sanctuary, which one is he going to run toward? He's going to go and gorge himself on the maggot-ridden slop because it's his yeah. nature. It's what he does. Yeah. But if, while he's gorging himself on that slop, you could snap your fingers and he could be regenerated and he could be transformed from a pig into a man— he would, re- he would look at what he was doing. He would regurgitate that maggot-ridden slop. He'd be humiliated that he'd eaten it in front of everybody there because it's not his nature. Men don't eat that. Uh, men would eat the food. Now, every once in a while, the man could be forgiven if in a moment of weakness, he walked by a bucket of maggot-ridden slop and he remembered, man, I used to eat that. That used to taste so good, you know. That was the the only satisfaction that I knew was when I ate that. And if he were even to go over and sort of like dip his finger in it and and get a little piece of it when nobody was looking, um, he could be forgiven for that. But he's a man, 
And he's going to spit that out because it's not in his nature anymore. He's going to spit it out. He's going to be humiliated and he's going to go back and eat food. And that's a great example of what happens when a person is born again. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to ask yourself, though, am I a man or am I a pig? What's my nature? You know, um, a man can be forgiven for remembering that that slop used to satisfy him. But you can't live on slop if you're a man. You live on food. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the new creation lives on the means of grace. The scriptures read, the scriptures preached, fellowship with other Christians, uh, prayer is the language of the soul. So it's not a bad thing for us to ask ourselves, what am I? Yeah, that's great. I, uh, we, we're about out of time. We got to start wrapping up, but, uh, to kind of wrap things up here, is there anything that you want to, that you want to talk about? Anything you've got coming up that people need to see or places they need to go to websites they need to visit Twitter accounts they need to follow, et cetera. Yeah. I completely forgot about all that. I think you wanted me to come on to talk about media gratier and I started talking about union with Christ and hey, you know, the new earth. <laughs> I, we enjoyed it. <laughs> I'm just sitting <laughs> here. Do you, I actually question, do you preach anywhere? I was uh, ordained as an elder here at Christ Church, New Albany, and preached and taught here. And uh, just several, uh, several about two months ago, three months ago, became clear that the work that I have to do uh, with Media Gratia is so full-time that I'm not able to do both of those. So I stepped out of that office for a while. But yeah, my heart is to, to uh, preach and teach. And yeah, my heart is to make Christ known. And so if we do that through multimedia if we do that through the ministry of the local church it's uh yeah that's that's what i want to do ah, cool so yeah well, back so, to the other question yeah what do you want to talk about what do we where, where can we find you all right so if you go to mediagratia.org now we we could not have made it harder we're almost like that like record store guy that's like <laughs> well you've probably never heard of it you know like you you wouldn't know about us Media Grantier, that's M-E-D-I-A-G-R-A-T-I-A-E. You can also go in English to the means of uh, that's a That's a phrase that means the means of grace, Media Grantier. The means of grace.org or means or media gratier.org. That's going to connect you to a little bit of, uh, that's going to connect you to everything that we do. Uh, you can go to logiconfire.org and see the film. You can stream that, you know, on Vimeo on demand, or you can get like cool. a really fancy Lord of the Rings extended edition nerd package that has, you know, three and a half hours of extended interviews and a really nice cloth bound book and, you know, some, some kind of fancy stuff if you're into that too. Uh, the Behold Your God study, you can go to beholdyourgod.org. That's, uh, there are two of those, the Rethinking God Biblically and the Way to Majesty. Those are 12-week multimedia studies that you can do as small groups. There are two components to them. There's the daily devotional workbook that you're in on your own five days a week. And then there's a DVD or a streaming video that you would get together as a group and watch um, once a week. So those are available at mediagratia.org or beholdyourgod.org. We have three Bible studies by Paul Washer on God, the gospel, and on the condition of man apart from God. Those are available at mediagratia.org. And um, you can go and pre-order the Puritan Project at puritandocumentary.com. Conference season is about to kick up, so we'll be at G3 and 
Bethlehem and Ligonier and TGC. And so if you're there, drop by our booth, love to talk to you. Uh, we're going to be putting together a project on polity next year, and we're going to be shooting the the third Behold Your God, which we're thinking about calling the Temple of Doom. No, I'm just oh, kidding. Wow. About that. That's that's not really what it's called. That's the third. <laughs> I was going to roll with it. <laughs> yeah, kind of rad. No, it's it's. Uh, so we'll we'll be shooting some new projects next next year. Um, awesome. Also, just just super recently, we kicked off a podcast. It's the Behold Your God podcast with Dr. John Snyder and myself. And you can go to mediagratier.org and uh, catch up on that. We're we, we're on like episode three. Just came out cool. today. Cool. Well, there you have it. If you want to listen to a really good podcast, go to mediagratier.org. <laughs> and uh, I, I, for one, will be out at TGC, so I'm looking forward to meeting you out there, man. Oh, sick. Yeah, that'd be so, great. It's actually, it's home for me. Uh, it's just, just down the road from me right here, actually. So I'll, uh, I'll see you there. But uh, thank right, you so much for spending some time with us today, Matthew, and uh, for just for sharing all that. And um, one thing I do want to throw in... Uh, there's a book called Union with Christ by Rankin Wilborn. If you're really interested in this identity and Christ stuff, that's a great book to go pick up. I actually haven't quite finished it, so maybe it goes off the rails at the end, but the beginning is solid. So thank you so much for joining us here on the Dead Men Podcast. We will link to all of those projects in the show notes. And uh, Colin, sign us out, man. All right, guys. Thank you so much again for coming on, Matthew. And uh, guys, just a great, great to have you on today. And uh, look forward to seeing you on the next episode. God bless. You've been listening to the Dead Men Podcast. For more articles, ebooks, videos, and other Christ-centered resources like this one, visit deadmenstuff.com. Email us at deadmenpodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to rate us on iTunes. If our ministry has impacted you in any way, please consider donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash deadmenstuff. This episode of the Dead Men Podcast has been brought to you by Chris Orsini Productions. You can find Chris Orsini at Chris Orsini Productions on Facebook and chrisorsini.com.